everybody. Welcome to Licked and Loaded. I'm Laura Desiree. And uh, hey, uh, Happy New Year to all of you. It's our first show here in 2022. Can you believe it? As this is a season for resolutions and lifestyle changes and helping to get on the good foot, I thought what a great time to introduce you to today's special guest. As much as we're looking to improve our lives, we're all still in lockdown and maybe exploring uh, aspects of ourselves, our pleasure seeking and our sexuality. So I have brought you an anal health expert. Today joining me is Dr. Goldstein of Bespoke Surgical. So get your notepads out. He's going to have some hot tips for you. Welcome to Licked and Loaded. Happy New Year. So good to have you back listening and watching. As you know, I'm Laura Desiree and joining me today, what better way to start this brand new year than to have a medical expert, Dr. Evan Goldstein in the room, uh, CEO and founder of Bespoke Surgical. And may I say, uh, anal expert of, of all, would that be accurate? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's so wonderful to have you here. I think that uh, a lot of these listeners and viewers that have been following along on Licked and Loaded for quite some time, they're going to learn a lot. You know, I think more than ever, humans are starting to get more comfortable with, you know, incorporating their, their, their booty for pleasure and exploring the anal options in their world. So I know that I've got my questions geared up for you, but let's start with maybe you telling us uh, a bit about the work that you do. Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Dr. Evan Goldstein. I co-founded a company called Future Method and uh, Bespoke Surgical, which is my surgical practice. Um, it all stemmed from really just me looking at my own community. I'm gay. I'm out. I'm partnered for 17 years. And when I came out, I realized that nobody was really focusing specifically on the gay community um, in terms of sex, being sex positive, non-judgmental, understanding that this is way that people engage and how do we honor that and how do we provide the care that we need, both functionally, making sure that it works the way that they want, but then also aesthetically, how does it look and how does it feel and how do we make sure that your mental components jive with the desires that you want sexually. And then mm. I learned through 12 years that obviously it's not only the gay space that's looking into the anal world. I learned a lot from seeing gay clients over and over because they're using it quite frequently, but it really spawns, you know, spans the entire gamut of anyone that has an ass. Um, and for that, the practice itself is really just allowing people to get the desires that they want sexually without judgment. And then if something goes wrong, which many times it does, just like everything else, how mm. do we now provide a space that people can go get it fixed, get people back to where they wanna be and just help people explore the anal world? It's, that's so profound, may I say, because you know, for most of my life, most of my adult life, I'm in my early thirties, um, you know, it, areas or issues or matters of anything anal, it's 
kind of private. It's something that you, you know, maybe speak privately about now that I'm more active in the adult community and uh, especially with like uh, porn stars, adult content creators, I talk about anal all the time with them. But uh, I, I know most people, when I speak to them outside of that industry, that community, it's a very private matter. So to have someone specializing in this is, like I said, profound. I, I applaud you. Thank God you exist. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. You know, I mean, in the beginning, it was first really raising awareness, you know, talking about the subject matter mm. at all. You know, um, I remember starting this seven, eight years ago. I started with uh, Merit Longwood from MMLPR and I we were talking and I was like, nobody's talking about anal. We have to be the ones that are looking at say, look, this is what we're using it for. Awesome. How do we honor that? How do we now educate? Because I start yeah. seeing ailment after ailment just because nobody's talking about it. They are looking to porn and porn for yes. a lot of issues is not hitting the mark with making sure people are engaging safely. Um, right. And so with that said, now all of a sudden everybody wants to talk about anal, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's really popular to really say, how do we incorporate this in a positive light? So we've come a long, 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 long way. Mm. And so when you're stepping into this specific uh, area of, of medical practice, what was before that? How did you divide career-wise and say, I'm gonna go down this path and just make this the focus? I first started with actually heart surgery, believe it or not. Um, I went specifically uh, for training in heart surgery as I was doing general, you start with general surgery and then you kind of subspecialize. And I, I was kind of miserable um, at that time. And I was, I just came out later in life. I was married to a woman first. There was a lot of these own, my own inner demons that needed to be satisfied um, and, and figured out. Right. Um, and, and from that, I started to look at my own community and say, well, wait a second. Okay, I'm out. I am who I am. I'm accepting of that. How do I now look at that community and figure out what we need specifically to tailor that to make sure people are doing good? And it was just the right timing because HIV and AIDS are so prevalent in the gay community. But at that point, it started becoming kind of a chronic disease where I said, well, wait a second. First of all, most people that specifically are gay don't have HIV. And what about everybody that is just the aging gay male? As we're all aging, there's so many issues that nobody wants to talk about. Nobody wants yeah. to bring to the forefront. Yes, it's anal sex, but there's so much more to that from relationships to, you know, uh, the the aging body, all the ailments that we all look at, you know, critically, um, and nobody was talking about it. And so I started doing some research to see who is actually taking care of, and are they taking care of the way that I would want? And the mm -hmm. answer is that no, I, I didn't see anybody in the world that was doing it. Um, and I even said to my partner Andy, I was like, I think I want to do this sector. He's like, oh, who cares? He's like, like, I, I just want to go to the, I, he's like, I just want to go to the best proctologist there is. I said, yeah, but the problem is the best proctologist doesn't exist in the sex space. Mm. It's no. the concept of, of, oh, you're shitting. Okay. Then you're yeah. good. Well, you're like, no, I'm not good because like, I do want to engage anally or I am self-conscious and I may not want to engage anally, but vaginally through sex, I, I, my anus is exposed and it bothers me and I don't like the aesthetic component. It makes me self-conscious. And there was so much to it. And I said, I think people care. 
And then that spawned, obviously, Bespoke Surgical to say, let's start creating this world where people had the safe haven to explore. And, and it, yeah. it's been, you know, 12 years and it's, it's amazing. I mean, I, and I, I just need other people, especially physicians like myself, to start doing this because it's there's so many people in the world that have issues that are not being tended to. Mm. And we just got to we, we really have to keep pushing this to the forefront. No kidding. I mean, sexuality is such a major uh, component of our lives. It's our reality. It runs simultaneous with us our whole life, our sexuality. And I think with a lot of like functions of the body, we just don't want to even inquire what its sexual experience might be or that pleasure can be conjured from some of these aspects of our life, like uh, like anal, like anal. Wow. Totally. You said something. You said something. That kind of that that I mean, first of all, heart surgeon, holy shit! Uh, very quick story. I was on an airplane uh, from New York to Los Angeles a couple months ago, and I was sitting next to a young guy who began to tell me about his work as a performance coach for uh-huh. heart and brain surgeons uh, to help them prepare for some of those difficult decisions and experiences you guys may encounter in your line of work. And that I didn't know that that job existed. It blew my mind, like a, a, a pep talk master. Yeah, I mean, I think it's no different, you know, trying to figure out how do you keep your body in shape yeah. because of all the pressures from standing and doing all this stuff, but also how do you keep the mind? So it doesn't mm. uh, surprise me that that exists. Yeah, no, it, it was it was so beautiful. And I like I get nervous flying. So I was like, this is a godsend. I am sitting with the <laughs> best possible person. So talk to me about uh, what would be some common cases or, uh, you know, typical ailments that people come to see you for? Yeah, I think one of the most is probably what's called an anal fissure, which is a tear. Super, super common. I mean, people need to understand that you can't just go from nothing to dick or a big toy right away. You know, we talk about it all the time. You know, um, anal itself is not overtly complicated. If you think of the anal anatomy, there's mm. two compo- There's two components. There's skin and there's muscle. And if you think of an accordion, that's what it is. It's an accordion. It opens fully. And is the skin fully accommodating? And mm. is the muscle fully relaxing. That's it. If you understand the concept of skin and muscle, now you're able to start thinking, okay, well, how do I go from point A to point B? It's understanding what that point B is, right? First delineating, well, where do you want to go? Is it just, you know, toys? Is it run of the mill, just regular anal sex? Is it fists? Is it bigger toys, DPs, whatever it is, With that said, it's starting for you to understand that now I need to train it to get to that circumference. Mm -hmm. And the the training is, how do I get the skin to relax and the muscle to relax in tandem in a way to accommodate that? When there is that dissynergy, when the skin doesn't fully relax or the muscle is too tight and that doesn't, well, the skin is going to split and you're going to get what's called an anal tear or a fissure. And so it is super, super common for me to see it, specifically in women, because the female skin is very, very thin. And in the front or the back of the ass, meaning the skin towards the vagina or towards the testicle region and then towards the tailbone, that is where most people tear. 
because that's mm -hmm. where the accordion is the least. You have to the left and the right, you have all those folds that are able to open and accommodate, but the folds are not really there to the front and the back. And so when someone comes to see me and they're like, oh, I think I have an anal tear, nine times out of 10, it's gonna be towards the tailbone. The other um, you know, 10% is gonna be to the yeah. front. Um, and it's very, very characteristic and super common. And so with that said, you have to make sure that you train your ass and anal dilating and anal training is so important. Meaning two to three times a week using toys, a gradual dilating kit, lots of lube, trying to understand your pelvic floor, your relaxation techniques, your skin, your muscle, and really understanding those components to gradually start the transition to anal. It's no different than you and I going to the gym. We're not gonna just go and lift 500 fucking pounds. This is not gonna happen. So what you do is you start, it's a muscle similar to how you would at the gym. You have right. to train it just like you would and think about it. So I see anal fissures and anal tears, which is super common. I see a lot of hemorrhoids um, mm -hmm. from just shitting, improper lifting, squats. People love Peloton and kind of oh, CrossFit yeah. and all of those. So those are a lot of the ailments. And sometimes you also get these skin tags, uh, post-pregnancy, a lot of women will get this extra skin that's kind of hanging externally. And that one aesthetically bothers people, but mm -hmm. two, functionally for sex, if you think of having something that is extra, when we're having sex and we're going in and out, we're pulling that extra in and out. Okay. And that friction causes people, one, to feel it, it's painful, it's irritating, or it's just limiting them yeah. where it won't fully relax. And then they start with the cycle of hemorrhoids, fissures, et cetera. Does that make sense? Right. There's so many, there's so many ways to just do it wrong. And I think a lot of people's first experiences, I know mine, like the first time early twenties, I'm like, I'm going to try anal. It was approached completely the wrong way. And if you go in thinking, I'm just going to take a penis in my ass right now as the first thing that's ever entered it you're wrong. Like you're going to set yourself up. And then I spent, you know, the next year or two thinking that's it. I can't do anal. I just right. can't do it. And that's not the case. It's like these introductions of the training, the, the sizing up of toys. Like it really, it's you, you have to work with it and work on it. A hundred percent. And so just to dive even a little deeper, pun intended, um, <laughs> there's three, there, there's three sets of muscles in everybody's ass. If you and I squeeze our ass right now, we're squeezing mm -hmm. the first two. The third one is an involuntary one. That's the one where like people are getting so frustrated because they're like, I'm, I feel like I'm relaxed. I'm so relaxed. Those two muscles are relaxed, but then they're hitting a barrier and they're like, what the fuck is this? And then it's either you know painful or irritating. And just so the listeners understand, anal sex should not be painful. Anal sex, you should not bleed with sex. Those are not normal ways of bottoming. Now, in the beginning of learning, yes, there may be some discomfort and the goal is for you to kind of understand what's the difference between initial discomfort and pain and you trying to work with the skin and the muscles. And the nice thing about dilating is one, you get used to everything, but two is it really kind of pre-lubricates you, you know, like when I'm using a dilating toy with 
clients and myself. It's I put lube on and I'm going in a little bit until I hit the first muscle. I mm. hold it there for three seconds, three, two, one. I take the toy out. I re-lubricate the toy. I go back in again. I may only keep hitting the first muscle and that's okay. Mm. Over time, each time that you're going out, you're going in and you're creating more pressure. What's gonna happen is that first muscle is gonna relax the second muscle, and then finally the third. And so some people, it may take you 10 to 12 times of going in and out just yeah. to get that relaxed enough that you're like, oh, fuck, okay, it's in. And I feel really good about that. Yeah. And you have to be, and you have to understand from a toy perspective, I don't want you to, a lot of the toys are kind of phalanged where it'll be like a cone and then there's like a space where your muscle actually goes. And so a lot of people push it in and leave it in. I wouldn't recommend that for initial dilating mm. because actually what happens is the muscles goes around the bottom of the toy and that's not doing anything. The goal for dilating is to stretch the skin and the muscle. So don't just, I see a lot of people promoting just going in and leaving the toy in for 15, 20 minutes, it's not going to do anything. And then what winds up happening is you try to take the fucking thing out and, yeah. it, and the ass is so swollen that it's painful. You're nervous. You can't get it out. It's just not the right way to engage. No, at all. That's so funny that, you know, you do see these toy designs that just taper back in really tightly and have the handle on the bottom of it, but you're not doing yourself or the process of getting comfortable with it any service when you just limit, you've inserted all of it, and then you're back down to what? This little nothing. That's exactly it. And so people wow. don't really understand that, that, that that's the key component is you always really want to make sure that the skin and the muscle are on tension in a way that's going to benefit stretching and dilating and going from there. And I tell people to do it in the shower, get comfortable, don't have other people do it on you first. It's self-exploration, it's understanding right. the muscles, it's understanding your skin and, and, and also positioning too of like what feels good, what doesn't, understanding that in guys, the prostate is towards the front. That's why people love prostatic toys or mm -hmm. you know, finger manipulation in that area. Um, same thing with women, you know, the cervix and the vaginal orifice and all of that is actually the posterior side of the vagina is right there. And there's a lot of nerve endings that are quite stimulating. But again, it's really getting comfortable in your own ass so that you feel like you're in a good space with it. So true. Self solo exploration, because that way you're doing it at your own leisure. It's your own. You call the shots on that. So people, I would say, definitely try it alone. Uh, it, it, you can you can get more work done that way. Less performance, less, you know, trying to meet someone else's expectations. What, I like let, the. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was going to no, say, please. I, I, I like the, the glass set of toys. Glass yeah. toys are really great just because in the beginning you want more rigidity. A lot of the softer toys, what happens is, is that it's not really stretching the skin and the muscles. So so just in, in terms of understanding, um, glass are great because you could use both water-based and silicone-based yeah. lube. Also, it creates that enough pressure, especially if I'm doing surgery, I want people after surgery to use toys that are going to really work my scar tissue because scar itself is really, really restrictive. It's tight mm. and, and it's weak. And so post-surgery, 
I need them to start doing the toys at about six to eight weeks after and mm -hmm. using a glass set to create enough friction against my scar that it allows for. And it's the same concept of post-surgical versus someone that is exploring. And don't, you know. I, I, I was, no, please, if you have a big bullet point here with no, don't coming good, in I'll that remember. loud. Please, please, please. <laughs> so I was saying, don't not listen to your body, right? If you're having pain, if you're not, you feel like you're doing things incorrectly, if there's irritation, stop. Take a couple of days off, let it heal, see what's going on, mm. try it again. If it's something that's persisting, then you should see somebody because at the end of the day, there's a lot of issues that could be there that are creating friction like hemorrhoids, like a fissure that you may not know, like extra skin, or your muscle is just way too tight that I need to do stuff first in the office or in the operating room to set the stage for success uh, mm -hmm. as you're moving forward in exploration. And with training toys, let's call them, uh, how long is an individual supposed to wear one, have one in there to get that stretch work done? I usually say, just like going to the gym, give me two to three sets of 12. That's basically it. So, and, and in the beginning, it's two to three times a week, making sure that like, let's say if I do, uh, you know, the toy work on Monday, take off Tuesday, Wednesday, do it Thursday, take off Friday, Saturday, in the beginning. It's not mm. the more you do, the better. Because in the beginning, you're gonna create these micro tears. We're asking the skin and the muscle to go beyond really what it's used to. And so you have to let it kind of do its thing and take it, take your time with it. Um, I tell people, if you're in the shower, I don't want it to be where you're overdoing it, where you're like, oh fuck, I gotta do this. And I don't, you're not feeling mm -hmm. sexy about it. It's literally in, out, in, out, give me two, three sets of 10 to 12, just like going to the gym. You don't even need to get off if you don't want to. Obviously, if you do, that's great. That'll help you. But I think the key component is just starting the process. And then as you feel more sexy, more comfortable, and most people start with the small toy for about yeah. one to two weeks, stick with the small. Just start experimenting with just easy stuff first. Then always starting with the small, you'll go from small, up to medium and then slowly start getting into the groove. And then once you're at medium to large and you feel comfortable and you're like, I, I wanna engage anally and I'm ready to take it, I'm totally fine with that. But a couple of things I would say, let's say tonight's the night, I would say you're either using toys before the person comes over to pre-dilate and pre-lubricate or bring it into your sex play that you're bringing it as foreplay of how do I get into a good space? And then you're choosing the right position, being in control. Even if you wanna be submissive, that gets you off. The first couple of rounds of sex, you, don't, you can't be submissive. I need you to sit on top. You're mm -hmm. facing the person so that you could see if they're grimacing, if you're grimacing, how is it you get feedback? Also that you're able to pretend like it is a toy and just say, you know what, just get hard sit there, lay there, whatever. I'm just going to sit on it and kind of maneuver until you feel comfortable. And then you could start bringing in more difficult positions as, as you see fit. 
Oh, it's just communication seems to be the one uh, piece of advice that we keep coming back to in improving our sex lives, right? And this is a great example of it, is that if you want to start incorporating this and you're putting in the work to get comfortable with it, it's still your job to communicate it and to have that open dialogue with your partner while it's happening. What What is, what would be the, the limitations that uh, an asshole can actually do. Take. <laughs> I mean, you see some of these individuals here in New York City. If you go to the right cabaret, you'll see people put all kinds of things, pylons, street cones up there. And I'm like, <laughs> what is, what's the limit actually? I think it's totally variable. There are definitely people that are able to do a lot more than what I would think would be normal, right? Mm. Um, with that being said, it's a skin and, you know, it's the skin and the muscle. And if you're able to keep pushing it, just like, you know, the person that can't do a split, but then every day they're pushing it, pushing, pushing it. And then finally months, a year, whatever it is, they're able to do a split. Same component here. Now, with that said, I think that once people start getting really good with toys and dilating and they're into sex, now they need to bring the opposite into it, that I've dilated for this much now i need to start doing contraction for this much because a lot of the fisters a lot of people with huge toys what will happen is they'll have issues with shitting and they'll have mm -hmm. gas incontinence or shitting incontinence or a thing called rectal prolapse or hemorrhoids that are coming in and out and it's because the system isn't going back to its tight origin so i think that for for people to understand that in the beginning of dilating, it's to get you into a good space that you're able to take dick and be comfortable with it or toys or whatnot. Once you're in a good space of comfort, now you wanna actually keep it that way. And how do we keep it that way? It's dilating and contraction, just like Kegels, just like going right. to the gym, doing squat work, really concentrating on the pelvic floor so that if you're someone that's able to go to capacity, to big capacities, at least the other two to three days, you're, you're really pulling it in to keep everything as functional as possible. So then give me your thoughts on this. Uh, there is a trend in uh, porn and uh, online cam content, people enjoying prolapsed assholes. Yes. Totally. Now, are, are you for or against it being in the medical stance that you are? I, th I think that the problem is it's a very short lifespan of it actually functioning and looking good. What winds up happening is that, look, I'm, I'm up for anybody, anybody and anything. If somebody wants that, I'll support that. And I have supported in many different ways for many people from that community. I love that community because they're constantly talking about it. They're actually vocal and really kind of in a good space. The problem is, is that over time, if you look, two things, a lot of younger kids are doing that very early on. And the longevity of that is over 20, 30 years of doing that, what's going to happen? The insides are going to keep coming out further and further and further. And then what you're going to need to do is at some point go for an operation where you have to completely remove that portion that is going out. And what happens is, is that in the beginning, it's I can just kind of like through sex, it comes out a little bit. Then it starts to, you know what, I could push it out myself. Yeah. then it's, I can push it out myself, but I, it won't go back by itself. I need to push it back my own self. And then it's, 
I'm pushing it out and the fucking thing won't go back. And then it becomes an emergency. And those are the different grades of it. So do I think it's the best thing from a physiological perspective? No, I don't. I do understand why people like it and why it's kind of considered sexy and I'll support that. But at the end of the day, seeing the longevity of the complications associated with it, I think people just need to understand that and be educated so that we can work with you in a way of keeping it in a good space so that you're good and happy, but yet we're not getting into the complication component. Right, and, and prolapse aficionados aside, uh, what are some of the day-to-day dangers or crimes that we're putting our, the health of our anus into? Like what are some of the everyday uh, crimes we're committing against uh, our booty hole and the health of it? <laughs> Well, I think, you know, just first of all, nobody even teaches us the right way to shit, you know, and so Tell like, us the right because, way to shit. Well, I think because, you know, the other thing is, is that everybody, you know, we have our schedules and like, you know, in the morning, if you don't shit before you go to work or you're doing all this stuff. So people really strain um, and they're pushing things in a, in a way that creates too much pressure. Uh, people are sitting too long. They're doing podcasts and they're doing Instagrams and they're doing, you know, Facebook and they're doing everything on the bowl. And what happens is you need to understand that with shitting, with sex, what happens is, is that the ass itself gets inundated with blood. Mm-hmm. And it, it, the, that's what it's supposed to do because it's supposed to send blood to the ass. It acts like an airbag, like a cushion, so that when you're shitting or when we're having sex, that we're not tearing anything. But if you push too much, if you sit too long, if you're, you know, all those things, if you're constipated, more blood is going to go, more blood, more blood. And then it swells, it gets irritated, it gets angry, and it causes all these issues. So with shitting, high fiber diet is super key. If you mm-hmm. can't, nighttime fiber, I love. So the key is to kind of take your pills with a nice tall glass of water before you go to bed. And the first thing we usually do in the morning is shit. So if you feel the urge to go to the bathroom, go sit down. If it's not coming out within 30 seconds or less, stand up, go drink some water, walk around. If you feel the urge again, go back and do it again. And the concept is with, and that's why toys are really great because when people are using toys, they're really able to be like, oh fuck, I never actually knew how to relax my ass. And now you're able to translate that not only from sex, but you're able to translate it into shitting as well. Same thing with like wiping. First off, wet wipes are terrible. Don't use wet wipes. They cause so much irritation, specifically herpes outbreaks, uh, anal wart issues, genital wart issues. They cause so much local dermatitis. So bidets are really great. Uh, They're super cheap and easy to go on your existing toilet now. Also, if you don't, in the shower, clean yourself that way. Toilet paper is totally fine, but just remember less wiping and more padding. Just because if ah. you're wiping, if you're wiping front to back, which is what we're normally taught to do, the problem is, is that that's that skin we spoke about that's very thin towards the front and the back. And so if you're over wiping, you're going to wind up getting these micro tears and irritations. And then it obviously it's then painful sex and painful and irritated components. So with that said, you know, bidet it, shit and get off the pot. Those adages are still super important. And then obviously. Uh, it translates to the pressures. Same thing with squats. 
when we go to the gym huh. and we're doing, what happens is that everybody does these crazy, crazy deep squats. And what they're doing is they're squeezing their glutes, but they're also squeezing their asshole. And so the key is if you're a squatter and you're interested in doing all that stuff, that's great. Put a toy in your ass at home and squat at home by yourself and try to see if you could do a squat with the, the butt plug falling out of your ass. If you're able to do that, it means you've squeezed the glute, which is what we all want. We want beautiful booties, but I'm able to relax the pelvic floor because if you're squatting way too incorrectly, you're going to wind up getting actually a couple of things, hemorrhoids, tags, et cetera, but you're also building too much anal muscle. And it's just like anything, your biceps and everything, same thing. And so what people come to me with is these big, heavy you know, bodybuilders come to me where their ass is so fucking tight that I need to do something to surgically correct it. Whether it's through Botox with relaxation, I do a lot of anal Botox and we can talk about that, but I also cut muscle in certain people if I need to, if that muscle is way too tight because they've overcome it by weight, you know, too much weightlifting yeah. in the area. I, I, I just, I, Botox just blew my mind, but it makes absolute sense. I use it to freeze the muscles in my face. Like, I, I guess you, you can, you can, this is a thing. <laughs> totally. I, I do a lot of it actually. So I, I use a lot of anal Botox for a couple of reasons. One is post what happens is, is whenever I do surgery, whenever there's a cut in your ass, your muscle stays so tight. So what happens is by giving Botox into certain strategic locations, I'm able to decrease the pressure. And by decreasing the pressure, it makes shitting and recovery so much easier. Also, when you are relaxed, I'm able to now get people to start dilating and get them back to anal sex in a better way. Now, we spoke before of someone that tried dilating where they've had bad experiences with anal and they're like, look, I really want to engage, but I feel like I'm too tight. Well, by seeing someone like me, what I'm doing is I'm able to look inside. I'm able to make sure there's no fissures, hemorrhoids, tags, or anything that's prohibiting it. If everything looks good and it's the muscle itself, we do a test called anal manometry in the office. And what it does is it allows me to know like, where is your ass in relation to what we want it to do? So for shitting, I have certain markers. For sex, we have other markers. And we're able to know where you are as to how tight you are. Once I am able to know that, Anal Botox in the office is super easy. It takes five minutes to do. But what it does is it relaxes the key muscle. We spoke about three muscles, two on the outside, one on the inside. The inside one is the one that most people have are, that is super, super tight. And that's the one where we give Botox. And I give it around. So like in each quadrant, left, right, front, and back. So that now that muscle is not hindering our sex practices. And with that being said, people ask me all the time, am I going to shit in my pants? <laughs> no, you, no, you're not going to shit in your pants. Um, in the beginning, it takes a little bit to get used, used to because it will be a little bit looser. So if you feel like you got to go to the bathroom, go. You don't just kind of yeah. sit around. Same thing. There, are, People do get a little bit more gas with it. And again, they'll do either gas X or fiber supplementation. But what happens is it allows for people to just start to really explore and have good sex where they're like, oh, this is the reason why people love anal. And oh, how do I get into a good space? It lasts for about four months. Um, many people 
we do it like, I'd say two or three times to get people into a really good space. And once they're in that good space, we usually let it wear off and see how things are going. It does help people mentally where you just feel comfortable in your own skin. And so there's a lot of it of what we do, but anal Botox is like so key, especially for people. Some people are dating people with like huge cocks or some people were, were dating someone with, with a really small cock and now they're seeing someone that's quite big and they just can't get to that full girth or length that they want. And so by doing that, same thing with fisting, a lot of people get to bigger toys, they're limited with fisting. How do we use Botox to strategically get people to what they want sexually? Wow, you you do incredible work. I, I'm oh, blown you. away. My mind is blown away. Just to uh, put a beautiful bow on all of this for our listeners and viewers today, uh, what are your, what's the doctor's orders on when to begin screening for cancer? Sure. So, you know, anal cancer screening itself is uh, specifically focused. When you look at the data, a lot of the data was on HIV positive men and they looked at the anal cancer rates and they were quite high. And that was quite high also because they, they weren't on medication, it wasn't controlled. Now, if you're looking at from a population perspective, the reality is still quite low. And so when someone comes to my office and they're engaging in anal sex, once a year, I usually start doing an anal pap smear and swab. It tells me one, what type of HPV do we have? Because most of us have it and not to be concerned with that. Do you have low risk? Do you have high risk? Also, we have a specific test that tells me does the cells change, but are the DNA in that cell, is it an issue and infected? So there's a lot of data we can get from just a swab that allows us to kind of streamline care. Also, don't think that you, if you're too old for the HPV vaccine, specifically in the gay community, I think everybody should get the vaccine. We all don't have every type in the vaccine. There's nine subtypes in it. Also, there's a lot of data to support that getting the vaccine mitigates recurrence. So if you've had a genital wart, a vaginal wart, whatever it is, the reality is, is getting the vaccine is super, super important. So to, to speak, I think if you're having anal sex or you're engaging in toy play, et cetera, once a year, whenever you start anal pap smears and then streamlining it uh, from there. And I like anal pap smears, yes, because it helps for us from an anal cancer, but it also allows the physicians to look at your ass, talk to you about sex. Hopefully they're doing that. Hopefully by them, you know, and you need to push the conversation too, especially if you're, you know, in middle America, other countries that are not so accepting of anal, like demand that your doctors know what they need to. And, and if they're not streamlining and spearheading your sexual wellness, mm -hmm. forget anal in everything. Fuck that. It's, it's, this is ridiculous. You know, you need to be open with them, but also they really need to be receptive and understanding. And then also help you in a way. And if they're not demanded and if they're not able to, then you got to find somebody else because it's so important for all of us to keep pushing the narrative forward. Wow. Uh, absolutely. And, and I know that there are people right now who are going to be, you know, sitting here going, how do I get in touch with Dr. Evan Goldstein? Could you please let us know the sure, website, sure, sure. the info, all that? 
Sure. So uh, bespokesurgical.com uh, is through the, the World Wide Web. Obviously, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all those is uh, Bespoke Surgical. If you want to see me, my kids mixed with assholes, that's Dr. Dr. Evan Goldstein on Instagram. And then uh, we didn't speak much of, but we started a company called Future Method. And Future Method is uh, amazing. It's all about really bridging the gap and bringing science and sex into product development. And wow. so with anal, a lot of people are douching and cleaning and doing a lot of things that are that I have found to be non-appropriate for what we're trying to achieve. So we started with an anal douche solution that is substantiated, not toxic, and also the methodology to make sure that you're douching the right way smaller bulbs, less is more is kind of our approach. We then went into probiotics. We know mm. that with sex, specifically anal and vaginal sex, your microbiome is changed. We're the first ever pre and probiotic specifically for sex that repopulates the bacteria where we need it. Um, and so all of these, we have an exfoliant and soothing creams, a lot of things that we have, and also the education to boot. We're trying to kind of push the narrative away from just condom usage because nobody uses condoms specifically in the gay space and nothing has changed since the advent of the condom. How do we start thinking differently of how communities engage? And that's where Future Method targets that. So check that out there, handle futuremethod.com and the Future Method for on Instagram. I mean, I see a part two coming up. That's what's going to have to happen because yes, this is so be awesome. wonderful. So, so thank you so much for today. And uh, I hope all of you watching and listening enjoyed this one. Uh, Dr. Evan Goldstein, we're wishing you all the very best. And uh, everybody, this has been another episode of Licked and Loaded for CAM4 Radio. I'm Laura Desiree. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Oh no, hundred percent. Thank you, and I know I know you've got a three o'clock. So thank you oh, so much for this today. Was this was yes. spectacular. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. And then anything you need, let us know, and uh, we'll keep rocking, keep going. Wonderful. Take care. All right, take care. Bye. Uh, bye, -bye. This has been a Cam Four Radio production. Come say hi at www.camforradio.com.